0: Friends and church family listening, thank you for being in my life. So we are following Christ's life chronologically across the four Gospels. Uh, at, I should say as near as I can make it happen. And uh, the last in this series, because we stopped for the holiday... Today is December 10th, and I believe the last, uh, before we move to a different series for Christmas, was November 18th. So if you're wanting to catch up, scroll through the podcast, and um, you'll see where the Jesus series begins. If you will, please share this podcast link, follow the show, so you'll get updates when we post new content. We're going to resume today in John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. I love this about Jesus. We're actually going to end up in today's podcast talking about how Jesus went against the grain, the religious grain. And uh, even though we see we're going to see how he did that why he did that it is important to note that jesus did multiple times you'll read about his ministry that he went to jerusalem he did went through the trouble of journeying to jerusalem to be in sync and unity with his community and uh, to follow customs and traditions. Christ was not opposed to customs and traditions. Um, and we see him following those. We'll get into those details later. Let's continue verse 2. There is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. Verse 3, in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk. So in these, in those five porches, there was a huge crowd of people who were sick. And then it describes their sicknesses. They were blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. And then in verse 4, we see what this what they were waiting for when it says the moving of the water. An angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Do you want to be healed? That's what he asked him. In verse 7, The impotent man answered, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. So this is very interesting. You know, there's so many things that we find in scripture that is symbolic. They they actually occurred. I'm not saying they're symbolic and that they didn't occur. But we can still utilize The example of what was happening then with what we have in our modern time, and when it talks about the water being stirred, this is a the water is continually referred to as something that is spiritual, that is life giving throughout scripture, and it's important that when spiritual waters are moving in prayer meetings, in church services, in conversations. You've got to move. We have to respond when the water is stirred. Just like in this story in John 5, when the water was stirred, those people would rush to try to get in the water and be the first in the water. We need that attitude i i want to be first to get in i i'm so thankful that what we know is that whosoever will there is no reason to be first but we still need that attitude that drive i want to get in there i want to get in fast i want to get in deep so when the water is stirred you've got to move and there's something else to learn from this Jesus asked will you be made whole will you be made whole and his answer was all about them and and this is a this is a not a great attitude this is a negative way to respond when we are asked a question. We Do you want a better life? Do you want healing? Do you want to grow in God? Our answer and, and a lot of us, our, our minds are in a entrenched habit of automatically thinking them. Our first response is like this man. He said, I have no man to put me in the pool. Jesus didn't ask, do you have someone to put you in the pool he said do you want to be whole and and the man's answer was it's not possible because of them they they are doing this they're not helping me they're getting in first it's the answer was them we achieve nothing when we wait on others our habit Has got to be changed from it life unfolding based on them and to I'm going to get, I'm going to make movement however I can. Because blaming where we are on others doesn't help us. It it helps us get nowhere. Verse 15, we find out that the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. (laughs) And verse 16, this is just, um, this is crazy. Verse 16, and therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him. Now, I have skipped from verse 19 to verse 15. I'm going to go back to verse 10, but I just want to point out what tends to be the continuing attitude of people who have a habit of blaming others. Here, this man is a part of a multitude laying with all of these people who have so all of these infirmities. He's been this way for 38 years and his response when he comes under fire, is to throw Jesus under the bus. He went and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole, and therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him. This blows my mind. Jesus was the one who, who, who bypassed the moving of the waters. First of all, Jesus could have been the one to put him into the water, here he's acting like this. This lame man is acting like no, nobody. I have no one to put me into the water. I have, here's an able-bodied person talking to him, and his if his attitude were not so bent on blaming others for his lot in life, his if his if his attitude would have been, I am going to do the best I can. I am going to put my uh, energy into getting forward, then his first question to this able-bodied man that appeared to him would have been, can you help me get to the water? Can you help me? But no, not that's nowhere near. Jesus had to ask him, do you want to be whole? And then we see this man's attitude is so ingrained in others that he, he didn't even have a, a grateful heart. When the Jews, we're going to continue reading, verse 10, the Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, it is the Sabbath day. It, it is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. Verse 11, <laughs> here's this guy that could not bring himself to be grateful, to push himself forward, to inch himself forward, to uh, his whole mindset and thinking was just so negative. He answered them, he that made me whole, the same said unto me, take up thy bed and walk again. He's blaming somebody else. They're saying to him, it's not lawful for you to carry your bed. He should have said, well, too bad. I was I've been lame for 38 years and I am finally up. I'm mobile. I got to take my bed home and just, no, no. He said, the guy that made me whole, he's blaming him. He said, take up your bed and walk. He had no ability to stand and defend something that was right and good. Then asked they him, what man? Is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk. And he that was healed was not who it was. So the the guy that was lame, he didn't know who Jesus was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away. Jesus had walked away and had gotten lost in the crowd, a multitude being in that place. Verse 14 Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Jesus, who of course is God, manifest in the flesh, he knew the attitude this man was of. He knew that this man had a habit of uh, of putting uh, his unfortunate and difficult situation off on others. It's, it's their fault that I'm in this place. It's, I'm not getting any help from them. And Jesus who knew that and knew this man's attitude said to him, sin no more, no more. We have no idea what sin this man was of. I mean, he didn't seem to be somebody who has the ability to go out partying. He didn't seem to be, what sin are we, are we talking about? I don't know for sure, but I'm going to guess that it has to do with his attitude. Jesus said, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. And I want to remind us with this warning that this is a thing. When Jesus said, a worse thing come unto thee. This is a, a, a reaction that we experience when we remove ourselves from the covering of God's grace. Uh, the same thing happens with forgiveness and then with a lack of forgiveness. Uh, we find this when um, when Jesus tells the story of a man being forgiven of a great debt. Um, we'll get into this parable as as we move on through Christ's teaching. But Jesus specifically says in that story, first of all, he explains, he describes the story, in the story, the man, uh, after he's forgiven of a debt, he goes out to his friend and demands that friend pay him back a debt and causes that friend to go into prison, and when the king heard that this guy whose debt he was had forgiven did that, he called him back, and he required that he be put in prison himself. And Jesus went on to say, if you won't forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you. And here we have Jesus following along in that same um, understanding, lest a worse thing come unto thee. When God has done good things for us, we do not need to be flippant about that, because it is possible for a worse thing to come unto us. There is a scripture that describes, Jesus describes a man, um, a spirit, a a demon leaving a man, and the man uh, um, getting his life clean and right, and the demon coming back and finding it, the scripture says, finding it swept and garnished he goes and gets seven more worse than himself to come back to that person. This is a a reality we find repeating itself in scripture. It's important that when God has done something for us, that we do not go back to old habits. We need to stay under that umbrella of grace, that umbrella of protection. And perhaps this admonition is why I'm gonna say in my opinion this lame man was the first Judas he was he goes from Jesus healing him to being rebuked by the religious leaders about taking up his bed and walking on the Sabbath day for Pete's sake and Jesus is about to have give give them what for and then he goes, And betrays Jesus, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole, and therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus. I think that what triggered this man to go and tell the religious leaders that it was Jesus that made me whole, it was Jesus that told me to take up my bed and walk, and he did that in that negative sense was because Jesus had told him, sin no more and we tend to not like it when someone tells us to sin no more we like our habits we feel like who do you think you are telling me what i should not be doing and unfortunately it's it's a it's a terrible attitude to have and therefore did the jews persecute jesus and sought to slay him verse 17 but jesus answered them my father worketh hitherto, and I work. I'm, I'm doing the work that I was purposed to do. We find something else occurring on the Sabbath. We find this same story. Uh, I'm going to read in, in Matthew 12, but the same story is told in, in Mark 2 and in Luke 6. At that, at that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were hungered and began to pluck the ears of corn to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. (laughs) They were reaping, and so they were considering that working. Verse 3, Jesus said unto them, Have you not read what David did? He's talking about King David. When he was hungry, and they that were with him, how he... Entered into the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priests. Verse 5 Or have ye not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? In other words, when they have to do something. On the Sabbath, when they have to do a job on the Sabbath, they are blameless. And, and Jesus in in uh, Matthew 12, 5 is referring to Numbers 28. On the Sabbath day, this is the law. This is the law that the Pharisees think they are referring to. On the Sabbath day, sacrifice two one-year-old male lambs with no defects. They must be accompanied by a grain offering of four quarts of choice flour moistened with olive oil and a liquid offering. This is the burnt offering to be presented each Sabbath day in addition to the regular burnt offering and its accompanying liquid offering. I always have a difficult time with that, accompanying. So Jesus is saying, are you ignoring the, the reality that for them to offer the sacrifice is work? To sacrifice male lambs and to bring a grain offering and flour moistened with all... This is all work. This is all work. Matthew 12, 6. But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. When Jesus was saying one greater than the temple in John 8.58, Jesus said himself that he was the I am in John 8.58. And Jesus was saying that he was the Messiah. Jesus told the woman at the well, John 4.26, that he was the Christ. First Timothy 2:16 lets us know that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. And so the same God that initiated the law of moses was essentially calling a do-over to these people matthew 12:8 for the son of man is lord even of the sabbath day the son of man is lord even of the sabbath day on luke in luke chapter 6 uh a withered hand. Jesus heals a withered hand on the Sabbath. It came to pass also on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught. And there was a man whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and Pharisees watched him, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might find an accusation against him. Oh, these people knew the heart of Jesus. They knew the compassion of Jesus. They knew if there is somebody with a need, Jesus is not going to be able to resist it. And they just stood by and watched whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find accusation against him. Verse eight, but he knew their thoughts and said to the man which had the withered hand, rise up. And stand forth in the midst. In other words, stand forth, stand up in the middle of everybody. And that man arose, stood forth. Verse 9, then said Jesus unto them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? Oh, he was not letting them get by without understanding that he knew their thoughts is it lawful on the sabbath days to do good or to do evil to save life or to destroy it and matthew 12:11 he said unto them this is the same uh, story what man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep and if it fall into a pit on the sabbath day will he not lay hold on it and lift it out how much then is a man better than a sheep wherefore it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath days. Mark 3, 5, and when he looked round about on them with anger, this is Jesus very upset. He looked on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts he saith unto the man, stretch forth thine hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. Matthew twelve seven. Jesus says, if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. ye would not have condemned the guiltless. Jesus was quoting uh, Hosea 6, 6, when he said, he was saying, I will have mercy and And not sacrifice. See, the Pharisees were okay with the priests offering their sacrifices, but they didn't want to give, extend mercy to this person with a withered hand. They didn't want to extend mercy to a person who was lame for 38 years. And they are forgetting that the prophet had tried to tell them, I'm wanting mercy, not sacrifice. I mean, I've laid out the sacrifices that I need, but I don't intend for sacrifice to take the place of mercy. In Luke chapter 6, verse 10, looking round about on all them, he said unto the man, stretch forth thy hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored whole as the other. And they were filled with madness and communed one with another what they might do with Jesus. Mark 3, 6, the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Oh, Now, here's something to remember as we look at this Christ's behavior on the Sabbath. Matthew 5, verse 17, Jesus said, think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets, I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now, here's what the word fulfill means. So, you know, we, we have to remember that I'm reading the English version of the Bible. And these scriptures were written in Greek. And so it's important to recognize that in the translation process he used the word fulfill and it means this word means to make full now think of a glass to make full to fill up to fill to the full to render full to complete jesus was saying i am not come to destroy but I have come to fill the cup all the way up so that we're not using this cup anymore. <laughs> you've been using and drinking from this same cup and you've been utilizing this same cup. I've not come to destroy it, but I am come to say this cup is now full. I have filled it up and it is now complete. See, law, absolutely, exists law is very important to god but god this this hebraic law that we're talking about where where the pharisees were so upset that jesus was quote unquote working on the sabbath because he was healing healing people god only gave that law to begin with because the people had a hard heart and this is very important for us to remember in our own pursuit of god because jesus said if you love me keep my commandments there are commandments the fact that we live in god's grace does not mean there are not commandments there is a law but we've got to we've got to follow that law if you love jesus you're going to follow his law but recognize the the heart, the reason the law was given to begin with. And we've got to go all the way back in the Old Testament. We got to go to Exodus nineteen, verses four and five. God said, You you saw what I did to the Egyptians. And he, he he's demonstrating to them uh like you you saw my power. You saw what I was able to do. Verse 5 If you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you'll be my peculiar treasure above all people, for the earth is mine. So, the original covenant what was the original covenant? The original covenant was we were actually the original covenant, we've got to go back before Moses, we've got to go back to. Uh, to those that we saw follow God before even Abraham. So before Abraham, it was simply listening to God um, between Cain and Abel when they offered that sacrifice, one offered a sacrifice that God was pleased with, the other did not. and that he wouldn't get in sync with God. He wouldn't by by use when I use the word listen, I don't just mean with your ears or with your spirit, but I mean be doers of the word, be obedient. You know, when a mom says, you better listen to me, she's not just meaning you better use your ears. She means you better do what I say to do. So the original covenant was just doing what God said to do, listening to God. And then when Abraham came on the scene, there was this addition of male circumcision. So now we've got listening to God, following the voice of God, being obedient to God and male circumcision. And verse 6 of of Exodus 19, God tells the people what he actually wants. Ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So if you'll obey my voice and keep my covenant, you're going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So that's Exodus 19 verses 4 and 5. Skip ahead to Exodus 19, verse 8. And all the people responded together, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. And when Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord in Exodus 19, 8, God, in response, in Exodus 20, verses 7 through 8, gave them how many commandments? If you said 10, you are incorrect. He gave them 8. He initially gave them eight in Exodus 20, and they were thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor thy father and mother. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Five, thou shalt not, uh, I mean four was thou shalt not kill. Five, thou shalt not commit adultery. Six, thou shalt not steal. Seven, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Eight, thou shalt not covet. So, We don't get 10 commandments until Deuteronomy 5. And those additional commandments are, Have no other gods before me. Do not make graven images. That's Deuteronomy 5, 7, and 8. Um, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make thee any graven images. Exodus 20. And they said to Moses... (laughs) So... God gives them eight commandments, and then the pres- they said, yes, let's do this. The presence of God comes among them, and Exodus 20, they said to Moses, you speak with us, and we will listen to you, but let not God speak with us, let not God speak with us, lest we die. When the people wouldn't listen to God for themselves, God gave them a detailed law to protect them from repeating what every other civilization had destroyed themselves by. When you look at the details through... Deuteronomy and Leviticus, when you look at the details of that law, those were laws about health, what to eat, what not to eat, how to be clean. They even go into um, diseases, leprosy, things to be aware of, even uh, uh, going to the bathroom so that the the camp was not, um, you know, filled with disease. You know, they didn't have science the way we know science now. And God in his infinite wisdom and knowledge, gave them details for keeping themselves healthy, well, whole. And that's where the details come from. But those details did not come into play until they said, we don't want God talking to us. We don't want God talking to us. God can talk to you, Moses, you come and tell us what to do. And this is when humanity started uh, functioning in this this situation where one person hears from God and the rest of everybody listens to that one person. Um, God has always wanted to speak to whoever will listen. Whoever will have a heart to listen to him, God wants to speak to them. And he initially, he didn't want just the the Levites, the tribe of Levi, Levi to be the priests. He wanted a kingdom of priests and they did not want it. And that is why God gave this detailed law. And Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to complete it. I came to go ahead and fill up the rest of the cup. So we don't have to live by this anymore. He came, he completed it, and he brought about the heart of the law. The heart of the law. Second Corinthians 3, 3, clearly you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is not written with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. There is still law. The scripture, the epistles teach us what to carry out. The apostles that Jesus Christ commissioned to carry out his word, they clearly, if you read the epistles, you will clearly find things that go beyond uh, prayer and Bible reading. You will find that the epistles talk about how we adorn ourselves, um, how we conduct ourselves in our relationships. The epistles are full of instruction for us. But we follow these laws of God in a spirit of mercy and in an understanding that humans need grace. The grace of God teaches us to observe what God wants us to learn and grow in and know. There is still law. Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but he came to demonstrate to us that while we are carrying out the desires of God, that we uh, uh, we can facilitate God's mercy in the middle of carrying out the desires and law of God. Whatever God has put in your heart to follow that may be above and beyond the rest of your Christian community maybe the Lord's laid it on you to not engage in certain entertainment or uh, how you clothe yourself is is separated and set apart from from the rest of everybody follow that I'm not telling you you need to require everyone else around you to follow it I believe he gave some apostles prophets evangelists pastors and teachers to Tell us what those things are from the word of God that we need to, as a one church community, live by. But you as an individual, listening to God, by listening, I mean doing what the Lord's put in your heart to do. Do that. But as you do that, don't forget that Jesus came to administer mercy even in the midst of the law. He came to say, we can abide by the the rest that is involved in the Sabbath, but it happens to be restful when you're walking through a cornfield and you're hungry to pluck off a few grains and eat it. That's not working. That's taking care of a need. As we fulfill the law of God, as we live in the law of God, we cannot... Put aside the fact that we live in a world that needs mercy and we cannot look down our noses at people who are ignorant that God has a way. They have no clue and they're not going to learn if you don't entice them with your compassion, with your love, with your joy. They're not going to learn. They're not going to learn by. Every time they pass you, you stiffening up and and huffing and snorting in and, oh my, who is this and who do they think they are and don't get too close to me. No, 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 no. That is not mercy. That is not compassion. That is not love. As that person begins to grow in God, they will begin to see that putting up boundaries and borders in their lifestyle is helpful. But in the meantime, while they are learning those things, you are to fulfill mercy. Thank you for joining me today for this sacred ritual. Please like and share this podcast. And if you have not yet, please download my free app.